0: What's up, everybody? This is TJ Reed, and you are listening to Vitamin Lead Your Healthy Dose of Leadership. We are on a mission to help you develop consistency, a thriving career, and to find company for the journey as a leader. Join us and leaders from over 300 cities around the world as we now dive into Vitamin Lead Your Healthy Dose of Leadership. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Vitamin Lead Your Healthy Dose of Leadership. I'm your host, TJ Reed, and I am excited today to have our guest, uh, Stephan Grenier. Did I get that right, Stephan?
1: You sure did. It's close enough. It's good. (laughs) It's good.
0: Well, thank you so much, Stephan, for joining us. Uh, Why don't you? We've already shared a little bit of your bio, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your past and what led you to your vision of a world where people no longer face barriers to good mental health?
1: Yeah so i mean i grew up as a as a happy as a happy young teenager normal family everything was going well joined the military wanted to serve my country the first 10 years of my career were pretty easy going tj i I, I was, you know, this was the, the the 80s. This was the Cold War. We were preparing for the Russian invasion and we trained all the time and there was no wars. It's a Cold War, right? right. And then, of course, that was the first decade of my military career. The second decade of my military career, the next 10 years, and in, in, in 10 to 20 years, was spent deploying all over the world because, of course, the Berlin Wall had fallen. The Russians were no longer the enemy. The world was falling apart. And here we were in in our military up up north of the border here in Canada where we're sending peacekeepers all over the world and one of the places one of the many places I ended up with in, in 94 was in Rwanda uh, where you know not that Rwanda was a worse genocide I mean I'm not in the habit of comparing genocide but you know they, they ended up killing 800,000 people in, in less than a few months with machetes right so so it was a bad year. 94 was a bad year for, for Rwandans, of course, and for those of us who were there to try to help people. And, and so that's where I really, I really hit the wall, right? I hit the wall during the deployment, mm. um, but I didn't know it uh, because as a military leader and as a military person, you just keep plowing keep forward. When I came back, it was really tough. Uh, reconstituted myself. It took, took me about six, seven years to regain my mental health. And then, you know, I I sort of said, what's wrong with our organization? What's wrong with our leaders? What's wrong with me? Should I have not been a better leader when I was there, right? I don't think I was a bad leader, TJ. But looking back in hindsight, I'm thinking there was a corporal at one point. He came to me, not for help. He just came to me sharing what had happened. He had been held at gunpoint. It was a, you know, standoff and all this. And i I just thought it was just a bad day on the job, right? Mm. And as a leader, I don't think I failed him because we always stayed close and I supported him, but I know now I could have done so much more for him, right? And so what we're doing now, you know, so after after going through all of that and after but the last 10 years of my career were spent re-engineering how our military organization supports their people from a non-clinical perspective, from a leadership perspective. It's all about leadership for me, right? Because yeah. I'm not a doctor. And now that I have my company, I
0: do that for, for Corporate Canada. And that company is Mental Health Innovations, right?
1: Yeah, and we do everything different from other consultancies, right if, if it 's done already we don 't do that. We do it a little differently. We focus on the human condition, we focus on leaders, we focus on managers, we focus on rehumanizing the workplace it 's not all about policies and procedures and what to say to people and handing out a pamphlet it 's about right. connecting with people and being there for them and the you know the, the funny thing is is people think well, if I tell a work a, you know a coworker or I tell a an employee, what can I do to support you? What if they tell me, you know, to do something I can't do is it don't, don't don't fear. They're not going to ask you to do anything. They're not going to ask you to jump through hoops. You'll be surprised that they're not going to ask you to do anything because you asking them is three quarters of the solution. The fact that you care is three quarters of the solution because nobody freaking cares anymore. So that, you know, it's interesting.
0: Is uh, earlier, you were saying when you were talking about uh, being a leader in the military, do, do you wish that you would have been more attentive to your own feelings? Did you get just kind of, I, I think all of us as leaders sometimes get numb to the experiences that we've had and don't realize that other people are experiencing it for the first time with fresh eyes and things like that. Like, mm. w- w- Do you wish that you would have kind of, I guess, maybe been more of like a sane commentary for those people as they were walking through that or? I don't know. I don't think I
1: was the kind of guy that was, uh, you know, very stoic and one of the tough guys. You know, okay. I've always been sort of a. I, I think I've always been kind of the the guy that understands, right? And that when somebody's not doing well, you understand but that doesn't mean I I did enough for the people who were working for me at the time. Right. I mean, as leaders, it's hit and miss, you do what you can, you, you know, and you can't always be. So there's a difference between being respected and liked. Sometimes you're going to make unpopular decisions. Yeah. Uh, That's just the way it is. Um, You know, I saw, I saw this great quote, I think from Steve jobs or somebody that's very much more important than me who, who said, if you, if you uh, want to please everybody all the time, don't be a leader. Serve ice cream, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's true, right? When yeah, you're a leader, you're going to displease people. But that doesn't mean that leaders, you know, so I, I was always wondering, I think I always had that ability to self-reflect. Did I do enough? Was that the right thing to do? How's yeah. he really doing, right? He said he's okay, but is he really okay? But then I wouldn't stick to it. Because I didn't mm. know, I didn't know back in the in the '80s and the '90s, I didn't know about this mental health thing. We now know, right? Right. Uh, and, and and so when people are going through a tough time, I actually did not comprehend the long longitudinal impact this can have on a human being's life. Right. Mm. It was just, you know, had a bad day. Now that we right. know. With the hindsight and the experience now, you know, th- this is what we're, we're committed to is to help organizations shape a culture that actually really supports their people, right? Mm. And keeps the people because we know the young folks, you know, if they don't stick around, it's because the organization's unhealthy. They move on, right? right. So the biggest. I don't know if it's like that in the States, but in Canada, the, the biggest culprit for corporate attrition is... You guys suck. I'm moving on. I'm leaving. I don't need to take this shit. And so, and that's a good thing, right? So the right. young generation is, is taking corporate Canada, maybe corporate America to task. You yeah, yeah. Better treat us well. If, yeah. And it doesn't need to be a pity party. It doesn't need to be, you know, treat us well, like tea and crumpets every morning. but you better treat us with respect because we're not taking this shit, right? So it's a good thing. Can I say those things here on your podcast? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Why not?
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I I read an article recently that, uh, because I've just been very interested in this topic and like how to help folks with mental health in the workplace. And it said that, you know, uh, millennials and Gen Z, they're they're so in touch with their mental health, unlike previous generations, kind of like what you were saying, that we didn't know much in the 80s and 90s. And so they're bringing it to the forefront here. And there's an expectation that, hey, we're going to talk about this. Do you, yeah. So do, do you think that in the past, we just had like a toughen up, put, throw some dirt on it mentality in the workplace? That, uh, sure. or, or is it just that people are more in touch with mental health nowadays? Or, or is it maybe both? I don't know.
1: Well, I, I think it's all of the above. And I, I remember when I was growing up, mental health, when I was a teenager, a kid, mental health was not on the radar at all. But, right. you know, kids, at, at, you know, I saw a YouTube video from a young girl who's 12 years old. She did a high school project here. You know, she's the daughter of a friend of mine. And it's all about bullying and the mental health of the, the little girl who's being bullied. And it's a very, it's a cute video. It's yeah. like five minutes, you know, I mean, it's a lot of work for a 12-year-old to put a video like that, but these kids are so in tune with the concept. That was mm-hmm. not my case growing up. I didn't even know the brain could be injured or, 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 or ill, right? Yeah. I didn't even, I knew I had a brain, but you know, you, 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 you're sprained an ankle, you go, okay, you move on. So, so essentially, that's exactly the generation I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And, and now it's completely flipped inside out. So you have people of my generation now who are in their 50s, at, in, in the leadership and the governance structure of organizations who are going, oh, what's, what's up with these kids? They're bringing up these issues. So I'm not so sure if it was a suck it up mentality, but there was definitely a part of that. Uh, but it's also an ignorance. Ignorance ignores itself, right? It's when you don't know mm. something, you don't yeah. know, you don't know it, right? yeah. you, you just don't know it. And doesn't mean you're stupid. You just don't know. So there's part of that. And, and I do believe that th- it's not all bad though, TJ. I do believe that, it, there, there's something to be said about a, a, a healthy dose, and maybe some of your your your, your uh, listeners will hate me for saying that, but there's a healthy dose of sucking it up, right? Sure. We have to, as a society, as human beings, build a little bit of callus on our psyche in order to go through life. We can't right. be porcelain dolls, right? right? We we can't just be broken at every comment we hear. So. From a generational perspective, what I'm finding now is maybe the stick is being bent too far the other way, Mm. where as a a 54, 55-year-old guy now, I'm thinking, I almost feel like pre-apologizing because I'm probably going to say something at one point that might offend somebody. And I believe that that's probably a little too far, right? Yeah. So people probably get mentally injured or mentally hurt too quick now. Uh, but that, that doesn't mean they're weak, or, but it means that there's a societal shift. And I think when, when the pendulum comes back in the middle there, uh, we'll land in the sweet spot where yeah. it's okay to be human. You're okay if you have a bad day. You're going to bounce back. But I do believe that at this point in time, we, we need to also think that, yeah, we need to build a bit of resiliency. We need to be able to have a bad day. Yeah. And and not need to take two weeks off, right? right. And go back to work the next day. Or uh, if the boss, uh, I remember a, a few years ago, three four years ago, we, we were helping an organization, and, and this employee says, "I was traumatized last week," and I said, "Jesus, what happened?" <laughs> and the employee said, "My boss pulled me in his office, and you know, here's what he said," and he goes on to take what he says, and I'm I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, well, you know, you 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 missed your deadline. You didn't yeah. come in one day, you didn't tell him. Uh, and he's telling you, don't do that again. And, you know, when you have a deadline, if you're not going to miss it, you got you to gotta tell me, you can't just miss the deadline. Right. And I'm thinking, where's the trauma, right? Now, that doesn't mean he didn't, he had a, he had a bad day. He was upset, but I, that's not trauma, buddy. You were right. upset, right? right. And so, so there's all this stuff happening that, you know, a 54-year-old like me is wondering, you know, is this, is this mm. normal? Is this okay? But I think the pendulum will swing back. It'll swing back. I agree with
0: that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I heard, uh, I think it was Father Richard Rohr recently. He, he said that if people don't gain like the, the sense of self-identity and values, the the kind of victim mentality and identity always tends to permeate and you always tend to go yeah. back to that. And so um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think we've got that. That's what it is. We've got to be careful about that. You, yeah. you don't want to be injurious to people all the time. But at the same time, uh, you've got to work at, uh, hey, I, I need to have a sense of self worth, self value that needs to be built yeah. up so that I'm not always fragile or broken yeah. like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly.
0: That's I good. Um, you, one of your uh, blogs I read, uh, you mentioned that there's a difference between uh, workplace mental health literacy, and uh, workplace emotional intelligence. Can you talk a little mm. bit about that and how that works?
1: Absolutely. So that's one, one of the things we do different in our company. So uh, here uh, up, up, up in Canada, there's an entire industry of, of uh, we're going to come into your company and we're going to teach you about mental illness, mental health and uh, it 's all about mental health so so if we can teach you what the symptoms of of bipolar is and symptoms of PTSD and symptoms of depression, and you know we, we up your your knowledge base around mental illness, mental health, and it 's basically the you know, psychology and the psychiatry, and basically the clinical narrative right yeah. uh, and the reason why this is occurring or has occurred and continues to occur is because when organizations look around and go, Oh my God, you know, our, our mental health disability costs are rising. What do we do about it? So mental health, ah, we need a doctor, doctor, come over here. Psychologist, psychiatrist, come over here. What, what do you think? Well, what do you think they're going to think? They're going to, they're going to regurgitate what they know. What do they know? They know about the brain, the amygdala, serotonin right. levels, uh, they know about the uh, the diagnostic terminologies, the symptoms, the DSM, right? And so, so we we are flooded here with a mental health literacy training. There's even a program called Mental Health First Aid, and the Mental Health First Aid. I mean, the title is really cool, right? And you go, yeah. well, geez, physical first aid, mental health first aid makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The Mental Health First Aid is in, infused with clinical terminology hmm. and clinical knowledge, and I say as I've been a leader my whole life. I've been a boss my whole life. After high school, I joined the military. I became a leader a year and a half later and I was a leader my whole life. Mm. And I, that doesn't qualify me for, for anything really. But I say mental health in the workplace is not a clinical issue. It's a leadership issue. Mm. You know, it becomes a clinical issue when the employee becomes a patient of a doctor, but that employee remains an employee. And as an employee, you're the leader, you better support that employee. And that support does not come from clinical knowledge. It mm. comes from your ability as a human being to be vulnerable, to, to understand, have empathy, uh, be humble, connect at the human level, and and engage the person with whom you have more power, perhaps, but mm just lower that power differential. In that moment when your employee is struggling, the power differential should be zero and you should connect at the human level. Now, the reason why this doesn't happen a lot, TJ, is because managers and leaders are saying, yeah, but I'm the boss, right? And so if I say anything, I'm gonna be held liable. So what we've, we've found is the sweet spot of equipping managers and leaders on how to support a human being without ever jeopardizing the liabilities leaders and managers have mm. towards the company, right? Yeah. And in fact, if you look at it, and again, you know, I'm not an expert about jurisprudence and, and case law in the U.S., but what's happening here is that more and more case law is changing. Employers are being found guilty of neglect mm. and not accommodating, and they are losing millions of dollars in lawsuits. Why? Not because they, they failed to throw a pity party for an employee because they failed to do exactly what I said, connect yeah. at the human level. That human being coming into work, putting in an honest day's work for which you pay uh, is a human being. And if you think he's going to forget all of his problems that he's having, because he's getting a divorce, his kids won't speak to him, his aging parents are dying yeah. and he's going to come into work and say, well, I'm going to leave that at home. You know, this, this work-life balance stuff, <laughs> Where, well, leave your your life at home when you come to work and you, you work at work when you go to, it's one brain. There's one yep. brain and it's all in
0: the same CPU, right? And so- Or or until we, we want them to check email at home, then then the work-life oh, balance goes yeah, yeah. out the window there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Work-life
1: balance. And here's a BlackBerry and a smartphone and we'll email you at 11 o'clock at night, right? Yeah. Yep. Anyways, so that's my take on it. So there's a very big difference between increasing mental health literacy and having clinical knowledge, which is factual, it's it's evidence-based, it's it's academically sound, it's very interesting, but so unuseful. It mm. is so unuseful. And the so so our approach is, you know, TJ, you know, I don't know if you if you're a boss, you're a boss at, at work. I am. Yep. Okay. So, you know, let let's say, let's say you're a bad boss at work. Okay, let's imagine you're just a bad boss. You're a bit of a tyrant, you're walking around, you know you know, looking over people's shoulders, asking if they're gonna meet the deadline and people are afraid of you, right? But that same human being who happens to be a bad TJ boss might be the nicest brother-in-law, the nicest uncle to somebody. And we're saying, why do you change? Why do you have a dual personality? Right. Allow yourself to be human the same way you are in your family. Now, if you're an asshole with your family, well, okay, don't bring that into work, right? Right. At the end of the day, there's a lot of good people out there that think that to be the boss, you have to know it all and you have to have this power and you have to, yeah. you know, that's not the way it works. That's no. not leadership. No, right? That's not leadership. Anyway, that's, that's,
0: that's, that's usually a lack of self management, right? Like, I, I find that with, with the roles that I take on, I've got to do a better job of caring for myself so that I can come in authentically and be whole myself uh, as a leader.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and sort of model that, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: Hmm. Um, I I, I think I read also on one of your pages that, uh, you know, the healthcare system is really not capable of meeting the needs of the growing number of people who are presenting mental healthcare challenges. Why is that?
1: Uh, why is that? We, I, I think it's because the mental health system is built around a a medical model that um, you know triages, uh, diagnoses people. The treatment modalities to treat patients is a fairly longitudinal process, right?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, if you if you compare, uh, you know, your typical mental health challenge that an employee is going to have uh, next week who the person has been having, you know, a tough bout at work, at home, things are falling apart or whatnot. That employee is a human carrying that whole life. And at one point, the stars line up where this person is on the precipice of, of being depressed or becoming depressed or suffering from depression, right? Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, that depression begins. Uh, but the depression begins, but the day the depression begins is likely not the day the employee reaches out for medical help, number one. Right. So the depression begins. uh, And after months, this is your typical sort of decompensation story. After many, many months of struggling and all this and having memory lapses and missing deadlines. Now the person's getting in trouble at work because they're missing deadlines and all this. Now, what do you think that does to the depression? It gets worse. Right. Right bottom line is is you can, just, you can just keep going up with the story. By the time the person reaches out for help, because of course there's stigma in there, so I don't wanna be seen coming out of a shrink's office. And, and really, a lot of people, when they start struggling from mental health problem, separate from the phenomena of stigma, there's a phenomena that I call self-stigma. The employee himself, the person himself going through this is going, what the hell is wrong with me? I'm, I'm, I'm late for work. I feel I'm not motivated. And people are ashamed of that. You know, rare are the people who, who are, were early at work, who are now late at work, who are proud of that. Of course they're ashamed. <laughs> that that yeah. whole self stigma thing kicks in, right? Yeah. And, and the irony with mental health problems is, the very, TJ, the very part of the human anatomy that is ill is the part of the human anatomy that will alert you that you are sick. But hmm. that, the brain, is sick so you know you you break a leg the brain knows the leg is broken it sends signals and you go that's painful and you go into care that yeah. doesn't happen with mental illness or mental health challenges right it's a different pathway and the irony too is that the the recovery process to recover from a broken leg as an example is quite known, right? You go in, get an X-ray, Dr. ooh, broke a leg, put a cast on there, it's around a month, three weeks, a month, physiotherapy, you're back, right? right. So we, we sort of understand it. And, and it's, it's, it's an injury actually, that the minute you get injured, you know you're injured. That's right. not the case for a lot of people in workplaces who become injured mentally. When hmm. when workers become injured mentally, they're gonna care, they're gonna walk on that injury for months, sometimes years before they go into care. So by wow. the time they go into care, what do you? Th- Doctors are not dealing with a just a broken leg now, or you know, like the the analogy is a broken brain. They're dealing with a broken leg that's been walked on hmm. for a year. The bones have fused in the wrong way, right? Wow. The neural yeah. pathways are functioning in a very different way. If people present it to clinicians the next day after you know, becoming depressed, I don't think it would be this bad, but that's not what's happening. It's never happened that way. I don't know if that
0: makes any sense, TJ. That makes a lot of sense. That's, man, that's really good because when I, when I heard you talk earlier and say that it took you six to seven years to recover from the post-traumatic stress, and I said, wow, like for you to even to be able to put a timeline on that, that's very interesting, because I think so often it's hard to see that and understand that, but yeah. um, when somebody, they're, when they're, their thoughts are injured, when it's not a healthy brain, they're, they're, they're walking on it as a survival method instead Absolutely. of a thriving method, right? and so Absolutely.
1: And they don't even know. And again, ignorance ignores itself, right? When you, hmm. And you're, you're trying to be resilient. You're trying to go to work, right? And I remember for, for at least two years, I, would sh- you know, I used to shave in the morning, right? And you're in the middle of, you have to shave every day and put your uniform, press your shirt and spit your shoes and all that. Uh, I, I still did that as a colonel, right? I, I, yep. I did not paint my shoes. You know? I didn't have patent leather shoes. I actually spit shine my shoes. And so there's all that. Good cry, for you. Right? Yeah, yeah, and I was shaving in the morning literally look at myself in the mirror tj saying what the hell is wrong with you hold it together today Mm. you know don't don't screw up what what's what's the agenda today you know don't 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 stop it right and you're talking to yours you're psyching yourself up for the day the same way an athlete psychs himself up Mm. for the gold medal run right but imagine if if that's what you have to do every single day psych yourself up Olympians mm. can't can't perform at that level every day. They're gonna right. kill over, right? And so that's what a lot of workers, a lot of employees will have to do. Those, you know, there's all sorts of people who develop mental health problems, right? But let's assume your typical good average performer, your good, your your good employee there, who's ashamed in all this. Every morning when they're getting to go getting ready to go to work, they're psyching themselves up to run another freaking marathon. And that's how exhausting it is. And by the way, TJ, when they go back home at night, people are gonna tell them, have a good evening. Yeah. People used to tell me, have a good weekend, Steph. And for years, I didn't know what a good weekend was. Mm. I remembered when I was healthy, I knew what a good weekend was, but my weekends and my evenings were spent reconstituting myself for Monday morning, reconstituting myself for tomorrow morning, psyching myself up to keep it together. So I don't lose my job. Right. Yeah. How long can you sustain that? Right. Which is why we have to find better ways to support people earlier on primary prevention, right? Primary at the, at the very earliest moments. And we got the recipes for that. Right. Uh, And it's, it's, it's working.
0: Now I know like if somebody, if somebody it to us, we, we should be vulnerable and treat them as a human, but like as a leader, are there more proactive things to do? Should we be talking about, Hey, here's, here's some of the signs of like where you might be struggling and we can, we can help. We want to, we want to help as a place without getting into the, mental health literacy side too much, but do we need to be talking about it more as an organization so that people go, oh yeah, I do have a broken leg.
1: So I think that it's not so much, so my my opinion supported by, you know, how we approach things at at MHI. um, My opinion is this, I think as a leader, let, let, let's say you're a leader who's saying, yeah, there's a lot of mental health problems in, in our shop and it's growing. That's the trend. You know, if you extrapolate the curve, this is just going to get worse. And you're a leader who's, who has a crystal ball and you know you're going to be there for the next 20 years. And you say, OK, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the course of, of, of history here. I do not think you will make a huge impact by starting to raise, you know, in meetings. Hey, by the way, guys, you know, mental health is important. Uh, we want you guys to take care of yourself. If you have a problem, I have an open door p- policy. All this cliche shit there—that doesn't work, right? Right. It's, it's all cliche, and it works with healthy people. The healthy people will say, "TJ is a really good guy," right? The people who are struggling will not perceive it that way because hmm. people, when they're struggling, perceive things differently. And we we can explore that later, maybe in in the podcast. And there's evidence to show that. There's research that shows that. What, what we believe, and back to the emotional intelligence, what we believe really works is leaders must develop relationships with their people well ahead of a person's mental health degradation. Okay. In other words, you know, it's unheard of while somebody is drowning to say, hey, while you're drowning, I'm going to teach you how to swim. It's too late. It's too late to teach somebody how to swim in their That's drowning. a good point. That's a good right? point. Yeah. So, what, what leaders do nowadays, because leaders and managers and supervisors are all freaking busy, we're doing emails, we go to meetings, right? And there's very little time left to develop human relationships between the boss and the employees. And therefore, when, uh, let's say you work for me, TJ, right? And let's say I'm too busy. I don't know if you're married, if you have kids, if, you, if you're, how far you live from work, you know, explaining why sometimes TJ's a little late by your three minutes, right? But fuck, he lives across the counter. So anyways, I don't know any of that. I just know that you work for me and you got deadlines and you gotta be here on time and that's it, right? Okay, so I'm not a bad boss, but I don't know TJ. I really don't know him. The day you start feeling unwell and you start feeling stressed for whatever life issues, work life issues, doesn't matter. And I sort of say, Teacher's not well. Well, I'm going to reach out to TJ and see how he's doing. Well, TJ's in no freaking mood to tell me, the boss, how he's feeling. Right. The boss never asked me when I was healthy how I was. So why the hell would I tell him now? Yeah. Back to it's too late to teach somebody how to swim. Do not think as a leader you can develop a relationship a supportive relationship with a person you have no relationship with. You have to establish a baseline with your people.
0: That's really good.
1: I like that. So that's that's where the focus needs to be. And therefore, manager, imagine let's 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 say everything is very simply mathematically sound, right? So a manager has 8 hours in a day in a perfect day. And in that In that eight hour day, the manager spends four hours doing emails, two hours in meetings, an hour doing actual work, and an hour where the manager says, hmm, I don't have anything to do for that last hour. So I say, take that hour, walk Mm -hmm. the shop floor, go talk to people, engage them, right? Don't have an agenda, just go sit with them and do what I say to shoot the shit. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and um, and don't go talk to TJ, your employee, and say, "So TJ, uh, how's how's the report coming?" No, 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 no. Say, TJ, right. what are you doing next weekend? You know, yeah. Yeah, I heard you. I heard you went out to hockey game. How was that? Right. Build that relationship. Right. Uh, that's your job. If you're managing people, your job is to connect with the people. Right. Yep. And Absolutely. we forgot how to do that. Managers mm-hmm. don't do that anymore. We forgot. Mm-hmm. And that's sad. We forgot that people are central to how we run our businesses.
0: Yeah, I, I usually have to do those checks for myself. When I find myself stuck behind the computer or monitor too long, I go, "Okay, I'm just I'm hiding right now." <laughs> And it's and it's uh, time yeah. to stop hiding. It's time to get out there and, and yeah. care for folks. Yeah.
1: Well, I get a sense you're not part of the problem because if you were, you wouldn't even have the, the presence of mind to do this podcast, right? So, yeah, <laughs> you're a
0: step ahead or two for sure. Yeah. Sometimes I am, but uh, I, I'm growing at it, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. I it, when you talked about being supportive, I would, just this last year, I've really been walking through myself, like admitting that I I struggle with anxiety. It was something that. I often viewed as like a, like a weakness, and uh, so I wasn't willing to admit it, but when it came to it, when it was time to admit it, I didn't go to the people that were uh, just kind of putting out those, like you said, those pithy statements, but I went to the people that I knew care for me, those, those friends, those that's people right. that I knew I could be safe talking about it with, That made correct. that's really good about the supportive things.
1: So you're living proof, right? You're living yeah. proof that, yeah, you'll gravitate to those you have a relationship with, right?
0: Yeah, Absolutely.
1: And sometimes, you know, I, I give keynotes across Canada here and, you know, at HR conferences and there's a thousand people in the room. And after the keynote, people come over and they shake your hand and you sign a few books and people say, oh yeah. And, and then you always have, there's always somebody who says, do you have a minute? I have a question for you. Right. And they'll say, I have this employee. Right. And mm-hmm. they tell you the story of, you know, the employee's gone on sick leave and all this. And they say, the employee doesn't want to talk to us. Well, I said, but did you ever talk to him before? Well, not really. Well, why, why would he talk to you now? He's in the worst place in his life. Right. You know, if you didn't care when he was healthy, why would you start caring now? Right? Now, it's, of course, there's no need to care when somebody's healthy, but mental health works backwards. That's if you so want, right? It works rev- in reverse. In other words, if, if I'm going to give you a break because you got a broken leg, the fact that I cared for you before the broken leg doesn't mean when I, when I accommodate you in the workplace for your broken leg, that it's not going to work because I didn't care about your leg before. Right? So, but it's counterintuitive in mental health. Mental health is all about going upstream and and kickstarting that relationship before. Hmm. And hopefully you'll never have to support a person who's got a broken brain. Right? But if they do, you've set the conditions for success. The broken leg doesn't work that way. The employee with a broken leg comes into work. Oh, geez, you broke your leg on skiing or whatever. The fact that you ever asked them about their leg before doesn't really matter, right? (laughs) Right, right. Mental health is backwards. The same Mm. way the clinical system, right? You you break your leg, you know it right away. You're going to care right away. Mental health doesn't work that way. So it's almost like we have to re-engineer how we think and how we perceive things when it comes to supporting people, broken leg that way, broken brain, very different. Yeah. It's every, everything's opposite, right? That's the norm.
0: Yeah. Is it possible? Like I'm hearing you talk about the broken leg thing and I'm trying to make some correlations there. Do you think it's ever possible that we could go, this person's really struggling with this if we take some of these steps, we know that in 30 days they could be in a much healthier place, like kind of like a diagnosis, the same way they would do with a broken leg. Or is everybody so different in that, that there's not a really a ability to, to do that well?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think, yeah. So I don't know the answer to that question. What I do know though, is we create a, uh, I created a continuum years ago uh, that with, with my team yeah. that we continue to use to this date. It goes, so imagine, you know, uh, uh, like a, a graphic with green going to yellow, going to orange, going to red, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, fr- from a physical perspective, often we, we look at it from a black and white perspective or a green and a red, meaning Steph is healthy, he's got no broken legs, he's green, he's running mm-hmm. marathons, he's good to go. Breaks a leg, boom, you're red, right? Right. And from a mental health perspective, we think it's like that. Oh, TJ's a happy go lucky guy. He's working hard. He's producing. All of a sudden, oh, he's depressed. Oh, he's at home. He's on sick leave. So, green and red doesn't work that way, right? It's yeah. on a spectrum. So, the thing is, is that when we can teach people, human beings in a workplace and managers, to look at people through the lens of that spectrum, rarely does an employee go from green to red. They go from green to yellow, back to green to yellow into orange back to yellow into Mm. orange it it's a progressive thing the thing is is that as human beings all we have is we're we're not capable of seeing the yellow and orange all we Mm. see is the green and the red right and so when you start understanding that mental health degradation in the workplace occurs over time on that spectrum and you can really see the behaviors right because it's not about symptoms about behaviors the behaviors are getting more and more consistent with the yellow category or the orange category. You're, you now know as a boss that that trajectory is not good. Right. right. Now, right. I'm not saying that there's a prescription if you do this or you say that, oh, it's going to reverse it. Then three weeks later, you're back in the green zone. But right. not even understanding that concept is a huge disadvantage for yeah. the manager who's now mentally literate. He's got all this mental literacy. He's got these clinical words and he knows what depression is but you still are not looking at your people through the right lens, right? Mm. So when we teach, we explain that lens and we bring that paradigm to life. And people see now, oh my God, TJ's in the yellow zone, right? Mm. He's been yellow for a couple of weeks and yeah, he's in the orange zone. So I'm gonna start doing something for TJ before he goes red on sick leave, right? And and of course, it could be self-serving for the company, Oh, but at the end of the day, I say whatever the motivation is. If TJ is healthier, everybody wins. The company wins. The manager wins. TJ
0: wins. He's healthier now, right? So We're taking better care of people, basically. Yeah, yeah, it's a win-win-win, uh, right? For sure. Now, I see on mental health innovations, you all do a community-based approach. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Is that just be just that the managers and fellow coworkers all kind of join together in the organization to do that community-based approach?
1: No, so community-based approach is more from an implementation perspective. So it has nothing to do with, with how the uh, organization functions. So, so one of the, our signature services for corporate Canada or corporate America is uh, creating and sustaining peer support programs at the, at the w- workplace level. So imagine okay. you're, you work at a company of 5,000 individuals. Uh, once we've implemented a peer support program, uh, you have a bunch of individuals from that company who have uh, volunteered uh, to to become part of a supportive uh, like it 's like an employee resource group, but em- okay. an employee resource group that doesn 't just meet and talks about issues and puts recommendations forward and says, "Hey, boss, have you thought of that?" But these are employees who become resources to other employees. Who are not feeling well but they meet all the f- criteria because not any Tom Dick and Harry should or can support others when they're mentally not well right? right so we've been doing this 20 years and so we know you know we know how to have a conversation an interview with TJ and at the end of the interview we're saying TJ is going to make a good peer supporter or TJ's Unfortunately, it's not going to make a good peer supporter. He's a good guy, but he's not going to be a good peer supporter, right? Because, because, because. So when we implement these programs, TJ, we just don't come in and say, okay, he wants to be a peer supporter. It doesn't work (laughs) that way. You know, it doesn't work that way. So what we use is a a, a methodology called community-based rehabilitation. And that that methodology is, is supported by the World Health Organization. And it's something very simple, really. The methodology, if you break it down, is very simple. Don't do anything inside any structure, any organization, even a tribe in South America. Don't go in there and fix the problem with your recipe. Go in there and listen, engage Mm. the people who are impacted by that problem and understand what's going on first. You may have, you know, antidotes and recipes and formulas and education and all this stuff. But until you can really understand what's going on in that organization at the community, that's what the community is. Community-based means you engage the people who are struggling with the problem to, 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 to leverage the knowledge in that community to ensure that what we have as formulas at MHI, you sort of validate that right? So before yeah. you go into a company, like a big company, I don't know where you work, TJ, but and say, okay, we're going to implement a peer support program. We've got the contract. Here's what we're going to do. We'll line up here. And this is right. Here's the forms. <laughs> no, no, no. Go in there and shut up and listen. Hmm. And so that approach works every time because of course the programs are always launched with the same major pillars. There's always some policies. There's some you know, there's a recruitment process there. There's a process, but understanding how the organization functions from the inside out allows us to calibrate the program to make sure it's successful. Yeah. So we can't impose stuff that worked in another company that kind of the logo looked the same. So why don't we just use that formula, right?
0: Because every culture is different. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Now the problem is the same people, People are burning out, right? But the culture is different and it's all about calibrating, right? Mm. So it's more of a process, right? And uh, it's a process that works really well. And it's not rocket science, by the way. Right? <laughs> it sounds really complicated, but it's really, it's really what good leaders need to do, I think is exactly that. If you have a team of 20 people, TJ, and, and you're, you're faced with a major problem, you can be the, the stoic, stiff upper lip leader that doesn't want to show any vulnerability or any sign of humility. And you, you, you close the door in your office and try to resolve this on your own. Yeah. If, if, if you're the other type of leader, the type of leader, I think is the better leader is you'll get your team around you and say, guys, we got a problem here, man. Uh, what do you guys think? Right? They know you have the authority. The fact that you're asking them doesn't mean you don't have the authority. You have the authority. You're the boss, right? right. But You engage them. You get, you pick their brain. And and uh, and and then you, you figure it out, you make a decision and you, you move forward, but you don't ignore the people who are on the front line. They have a lot of wisdom, right? Yeah. So CBR, community-based is kind of the same thing, right? It's kind of the same thing.
0: I think one of the things I'm hearing you say is leaders just need to be like, if I could boil it down, like you said, it's not complex. Like we just need to be better listeners. Like why, why do leaders struggle to be Good listeners. In what you're learning as you work with companies, why do leaders struggle to listen well?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I I've caught myself. You know, I I didn't used to always say this, but you know, as my as my own company is slowly growing. You know, it's not growing that fast. I mean, it's growing at a. I I don't think we're growing fast enough. The demand is sort of. We're not overrun by demand, but you know, it's we're 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 busy. Uh, so we're growing, we're onboarding more and more people and we're finding great people. We, we actually uh, have a, a person from New Jersey working with us now. It's great to have somebody, you know, south of the border and it's wonderful. <laughs> and, Shout out to New Jersey. <laughs> there you go. And uh, I often find myself re- in, in recent years saying to my team, when I have an opinion about something, saying to, saying to them, listen, guys, this is what I think, but I'm happy to be wrong. And I'm not saying this to look good, or this is what leaders should do. But it it just comes naturally. Because if I'm wrong, you guys tell me, I'm happy to be wrong here, right? So challenge me. Uh, When we have challenging discussions, I thank people for that. When people disagree with me, I thank them. I don't get freaked out. When we have tough discussions, and you know what, this week, People were, you know, I brought in my, my business partners together, some key managers in, in the room, and we had some hard discussions. At the end of it, I said, thank you. You know, that's what we need to do to resolve issues. Yeah. It's, not get, it's not saying, oh, yeah, 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 TJ, yeah, you're the boss. you know No. So creating the conditions where people can actually disagree with the boss, I think is huge. Yeah. It is huge, right? And so I think that's what leaders need to aspire to and leaders should not fear being wrong they should yeah. embrace that yeah absolutely and 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 the, to me the best sign of good leadership is when an employee can respectfully tell the boss boss i think you're wrong i think you're about to make a mistake because the employee has the respect to actually warn the boss yeah and and there's no fear that the boss won't tell you talking about i'm gonna fire you no Right? right. So th- that to me is a sign. They could of. be saving your butt right there. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Yeah. But I don't think that's what young leaders are being taught. Mm. I think they're being taught that they have to be in charge, they have yeah. to be stoic, they have to have the answers, they're more educated, uh, they're, they make more money. Right. So, and as we know, uh, there's a, 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 a woman from Texas, I think she's from Texas, uh, Brene Brown. I don't know if you ever oh, yeah. heard of her. Love Everybody Brene Brown. Brene Brown and we yeah. One of my associates did her, um, her, her recent course in, in, the, in the US. She met Brene, and I said, Oh, you're so lucky, right? She's, she's kind of my hero. But she, she says it really well. It's all about being vulnerable. It's yeah. okay to be vulnerable. We forgot how to be humble and how to be vulnerable, right?
0: Yeah. And
1: that's too bad. Yeah, because that that really reinforces human connections, right? Where the employee doesn't feel like they're lesser of a person. You're no more of a person than your employee, by the way. Yep. And if you think you are, you're in the yeah, you, you suck. <laughs> you really suck, right? Yep. You need a, a humility pill. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, just that, that, that's something you need to sell. Just a humility pill to swallow for a second. Yeah, that'd
1: be good. A phar- Big pharma would have a, a field day with that—the <laughs> humility pill. Brene, Brene would, uh, yeah, she'd be raking in the millions there. Right? <laughs> sure.
0: So let's let's say, uh, Stefan, somebody's listening to this, and they, whether they're a frontline employee or they're a leader in their organization, how can they start to be an advocate for? for mental health and this sort of approach in their organization? Like, what would you say would be the first couple steps they should take to do that in their organization?
1: Well, I mean, if you're an employee, right, depending on the level of authority you have and all this, I mean, you can look at it two ways, right? I mean, if you're an employee on on the shop floor and you have very little influence over what the the company does in the next 10 years, then I don't think strategically, organizationally, there's a lot you can do. However, there's a lot you can do for your coworkers, right? Yeah. If you're, if the, if the same person you're describing now is a director general somewhere or a vice president of HR and all that, well, my answer is going to be very, very different, right? Uh, So if we start with the first person, the employee, uh, I think that uh, I would tell that employee who's, who's, uh, who wants to do something, right, but has no authority, no influence over the company policies, I would say, do not underestimate. This is the advice I would have for them. Do not underestimate the, uh, the power and, and the influence you have on your coworkers' mental health trajectory. Hmm. If, you, if you look at that person who's, who's struggling and is decompensating slowly, and you never connect with the person and you just let them go and you be the bystander, because you think you're not a doctor, therefore it is nothing I can do. Mm. If you fall in the trap of underestimating the power of human connection, you're, you're doing a disservice to that other human being. Yeah. If on the other hand, you, you, you act with a bit of courage, you approach the person, the person might tell you to bugger off, but you approach the person in a kind way and say, listen, you know, uh, it looks like you're going through a rough patch. If ever you want to have a chat, I'm there for you, man. We can go for coffee at coffee break, right? If you muster the courage without thinking that the person is going to ask you to resolve the problem they're going through, just connecting is enough often, right? So you don't need to be a doctor. And so many human beings nowadays think, I'm not a doctor. I can't do anything. So I'm going to let TJ be, and I hope he calls a doctor, right? right? So that would be my message to the employee. That's really good. And if you want me to say, you know, if, you, if you're a vice president of HR in a company, I can also answer that. But it's a very sure. different answer, right? You want, sure. you want me to get
0: well, there too? Yeah, yeah. If you're a leader in a company, that would be great too. Yeah, if
1: you're a leader in a company, uh, what you need to understand is that if you are, so uh, you need to understand one thing. The people who are struggling with this issue right now think differently than the people who are healthy. So if you are a leader in the organization, and let's assume that you don't have a mental health problem because a lot of leaders do, but let's assume you're a healthy leader. You don't know what it's like to be depressed or be burnt out or have bipolar or, you know, you have no clue. Um, Do not surround yourself only with healthy people in the organization Hmm. and say, okay, what are we going to do to resolve this? Because the advice you're going to get is very different from the advice you will get and the insight you will get if you surround yourself with people in your company that have suffered through the problem,
0: hmm.
1: the lived experience. That's ex- really good. Yeah. And by the way, this is my opinion, but my opinion is supported by empirical evidence. Uh, Dr. Hoge in the U.S. did a study years ago, uh, which looked at over six thousand employee people who answered surveys around mental health, workplace, blah, 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 right? And they were asked all sorts of questions. They were asked questions such as, okay, TJ, answer the survey. So TJ, if ever you, you develop a bout of depression in the workplace, question number one, would you trust your workplace to do good by you, right? Question number two, would you be embarrassed? Question number tr- three, anyways. So the beauty of the Hoag study was that the data also included medical diagnostic scales, which means that, of course, the survey was anonymous. But out of the six thousand people who answered the survey, they were able to look at were able to look at the data from those who likely had what what the answers were from mm. those who likely had a mental health condition compared to those who did not have a mental health condition. Wow! So if you dumb it down. If you ask a healthy TJ to TJ, if you ever become depressed in the workplace there, do you think you'd be embarrassed? If you're healthy, you're probably going to say, no, I don't think I'd be embarrassed. If you have depression at the time and you're asked, do you think you'd be embarrassed? You're going to say, yes. The perspective, the perception Mm -hmm. is very different when you have a mental health problem. What does that tell us? Community-based rehabilitation. You need to engage the people impacted by the problem. That's what leaders need to understand for mental health, right? And the beauty of what we do in our company is because we're, you know, when, when organizations come to us, they outsource that task. Why? Because they recognize that, Hey, listen, the VP of HR wants to do something good for their people. And it requires engaging the people who are depressed today. Do you think depressed people in the company are going to go in a boardroom and say, okay, we're having a mental health meeting for everybody who's depressed. Come on in. We want your opinions. Nobody's going to show up, right? So we have ways to actually reach out to those people from an outside perspective, right? So I'm not telling your VPs hire MHI, but the thing is, the point is, figure out a way to engage the people who are impacted and get their insight and, and get their eye on the problem, and see what would work for them. And out of that cohort of people, TJ, there's a lot of people who have been depressed, who have recovered, and they remember how it was. So you can also talk to those people, right? But again, it's embarrassing, nobody wants to show up. There are ways to do this, right? And that's very important. And also, I would tell those leaders, uh, it's not all about clinical stuff. You know, one of our signature service offerings is about leveraging the human capacity in those big organizations. These people are all on the payroll. They show up for work every day. They're there. However, they don't talk to each other about mental health, right? Mm. What we do when we create peer support programs is we allow those conversations to be had. Those peer support conversations. It's not a pity party. It's the sweet spot, right? Yeah. Because and, and leaders also think that, well, we've got a great employee assistance program. We've got good benefits. That's all we need. Well, that's a two-legged stool, yeah. right? Two-legged stool doesn't work really well. You need a third leg. And that third leg is that human. That human in the workplace is going to spend five, 10 minutes with TJ at the coffee break to chat about you know, what's going on with TJ, right? And that's the missing link. People, by the way, people don't die by suicide in their doctor's offices, do they? They die by suicide out there. What are we the people doing out there to support Mm. the people? Very little, right? When somebody's struggling, we normally look the other way, right? So when when VPs uh, have the courage to implement our peer support programs, what they do is they don't look the other way anymore. They actually interrupt, they disrupt the isolation, right? And they they empower people who are struggling uh, with a connection a meaningful connection with somebody who knows what it's like. And that covers off that long two, three week period between medical appointments. Right. And that's when it all happens. It comes undone between medical appointments or it can galvanize. And the peer support relationship is the galvanizer. Right. Anyways, that's a big bowl
0: of word salad there. No, that's good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: (laughs) Well, I, I, I think it makes uh, even for folks that are leaders in organizations like I I heard this guy Jason True recently say uh, people that have a close friend or feel understood at work by somebody else, they're like, I I think the figure was like they're like seven times more loyal or like stick around an organization if they know that they have that. And so for any organization, uh, especially with how relational younger generations are, I think it's such an important investment to make sure that there is some cohesive relationships that are able to happen and be supported by the organization.
1: Correct. And I, th- I think what's happening here anyways. Uh, and, and th- the thing is, is that these relationships can be left to serendipity for most human relationships in the workplace. However, when an employee starts struggling with a mental health problem, organizations, I believe have a, have a responsibility to step up to the plate and not leave the isolation or not uh, occur based on serendipity anymore. Right. So right. you're going to work as a healthy person, a hundred people going to work healthy every day and they build relationships. Somes Some like the, you know, we're like baseballs. You talk about baseball, you go for coffee and all this, and these are okay. It's all fine. Right. And so of course, organizations just let all this happen and that's socialization. It's, it's all good. Right. But when people become mentally challenged or mentally you know, uh, impacted, uh, this is where the leadership needs to kick in and, and say, we need, to, we, need to, we need to cover that gap because yeah. isolation sets in, right? Yeah. And often it's not necessarily because of stigma, TJ. It's not because people say, oh, I don't want to talk to TJ. He looks depressed. You know, I don't want him having lunch with me anymore. No, that, that's stuff we see in movies. If right. TJ's depressed, he's not going to show up at the lunchroom anymore. And we're going to say, where's TJ? He hasn't been here for a week. He eats, at, yeah. he eats at his desk now, right? Now, of course, that's the yellow zone, right? TJ's yeah. not sick yet. He's just starting to isolate, right? Yeah. But as TJ starts to decompensate more and more, you know, those, the social fabric of relations and you know, those connections start eroding. If there's nothing to potentially replace that, and TJ, you know, three weeks later figures, what's wrong with me, man? I, you know, people have been commenting and all. I'm starting to feel bad and self-stigma kicks in. Imagine if TJ can talk to an employee who suffered the same damn thing three years ago and who's now yeah. better, right? Yeah. Imagine if we can precipitate that connection and not leave it to serendipity that TJ bumps into somebody say, TJ, man, you're, you know, I lived through the same thing. That's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Our programs actually make that connection occur, right? Mm -hmm. If TJ wants it, we don't impose it. Right. That connection is the game changer because instead of TJ walking on that broken brain, walking on that broken leg for a year, it's probably only going to take two, three months for TJ to say, yeah, you know what, Steph, you're right. I'm going to call the EAP program. I'm going to reach out for some help there. Why? Not because I told you you need a doctor, but because, I've said, don't do what I did, buddy. Don't, don't wait seven months. It's just going to get worse, right? Yeah. That's a yeah. promise, right? And yeah. so those little conversations are instrumental and that's primary prevention. You're swimming upstream and you're not allowing TJ to walk on his broken leg for a year before yeah. the company does something
0: about it, right? That's good. Stefan, this has been a very insightful conversation. I've so appreciated oh, right on. Uh, your, your wisdom and all that you've learned along the way. Um, um, I, I want to ask you one more question if I could, uh, yeah. and then we'll, uh, share how they can connect with you as well. Sure. But, uh, so at vitamin lead, our tagline is your healthy dose of leadership. And so I always like to ask people, uh, how do you define healthy leadership?
1: Uh, introspection, hmm. humility, and never forget where you come from. Yeah. Right? And, uh, I, 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 to me, it's so important to, uh, Uh, to not lose the grassroots of things. And, and I make a point, you know, every once in a while, TJ, uh, we have a team in in Eastern Canada here that a group of employees that do hard, some hard work. And this fall was really busy. And one of my business partners said, so one of us, I said, I'm going, I need to be, I need to connect back with our frontline employees who do the tough work because it's too easy to be, like you said earlier, right? Uh, when leaders lose the ability to want to connect with their frontline employees, it's time to retire. Yeah, it's time to leave. Do something else, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and and, and uh, be in awe of your frontline employees. Mm. Be humbled by what they do. And, and don't ever think you can do their job (laughs) because you can't. No.
0: Yeah. I'm very aware of that. Yeah. yeah.
1: No, not you, but you know what I mean?
0: (laughs) Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Humility, man. Humility. That's that's so good.
0: I love that. Okay. So uh, how can our listeners connect with you? I know you have a book out. Uh, I know that you work with mental health innovations. How can they connect with you and learn more about what you do?
1: Well, there's there's one thing that is easy to remember. I mean, my name, Stefan Grenier, and it'll be published I'm sure, on your podcast. So I have a, a blog, StéphaneGrenier.com. It's not a very active blog, but every once in a while, I feel inspired. I write something and uh, my book is also uh, promoted there. So StefanGrenier.com. And the other, uh, the other one that's easy to remember is supportyourpeople.com. Supportyourpeople.com, right? So that is uh, one of our flagship service offerings. And there's a free tool on there, actually, so for organizations who are listening in tonight saying, hey, well, what do we do now? Well, there's a, there's a free, you don't have to put your credit card in, right? And stuff like that. But you can do a, a quick assessment around where's your organization at? And you get a score, and the score actually tells you, here's what you might want to be thinking of next, hmm. right? So if you don't know where to start, it takes about four minutes to do the, the assessment tool. It's a reader's digest. It's not a deep dive, but it's sure. a good place to start. Supportyourpeople.com, TJ.
0: I think I'm going to go to supportyourpeople.com either tonight or in the morning and uh, check that out. That sounds really awesome. Thank you very uh, much
1: for having me. Thank you for being
0: here, Stefan. I have so Uh, appreciated it. And uh, best of luck to you as you go through the snowy season there in Canada. (laughs) All
1: right. We'll shovel ourselves (laughs) to to spring. Right on, TJ. Have a good one. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye-bye.